Hello, and welcome to Stride and Saunter, episode 88. I'm Kip Clark, and joining me in the studio today, we have a returning guest, Sam Graff. Thanks for having me back on, Kip. It's great to have you here. Today, our conversation is going to be very much a thought experiment of sorts, derived from a dinner conversation you and I had months ago, in which for some reason, the idea came up or the question, what if someone had no enemies? And so I'd like to start by defining what it means to have enemies and what an enemy is. From my perspective, having an enemy is a very curious idea because I think some people would argue it's not necessarily those you hate and hold ill will against, but there's a mutual negativity between you and it's on some level strangely agreed upon in an almost political or diplomatic way. You acknowledge the negativity or conflict between one another. And I think that's really interesting because in feuds or another long-standing examples of animosity, I'm just intrigued by that idea that you would devote so much emotional and intellectual space mm-hmm. to guarantee that negativity persists. And so for me, for the sake of this conversation and this thought experiment, I'd like to say that the concept of having an enemy means having someone or groups of people, in the case of enemies plural, who do not like you or wish you ill will or poor fortune in any capacity. And of course, that's a bit of a broad definition, but how would you define enemies and what sort of thought process did you have as we prepared for this episode? Well, it's interesting that you should say that you have conceived of an enemy as a person or a group of persons that harbor some ill will towards that subject individual, because I thought of the same thing as I was preparing the first question that I asked myself is what an enemy was. And the definitions or the characteristics of an enemy that first jumped to my head were kind of based in the subject. And you kind of mentioned this, that there's a relationship of a give and take. There's kind of a mutual agreement for the subject to consider the enemy an enemy and for the enemy also probably to consider themselves an enemy of the subject. And this is just another example of that dichotomy the mutual nature of our definitions as humans and our relationships. The first way that I conceived of an enemy was simply as an individual who has goals or desires that are at odds with the goals or desires of the subject in question, either direct odds or a kind of indirect odds. I think that that definition of an enemy definitely situates the power of the creation of the enemy, if you understand what I'm saying, in the subject. So what I mean to say is that the definition that I just offered gives the subject, the person that is being threatened by this enemy, the main power in creating the enemy. The enemy in this case is kind of conceived as someone who not necessarily harbors ill will towards the subject, but whose goals are simply at odds with the subject's goals. In this situation, the enemy wouldn't even necessarily have to know about the existence of a subject, which I think is an interesting point and something we could get into later on in this discussion. That was the first way that I conceived of it. And then I immediately made the same jump as you, as I said, towards this idea of the mutual creation of the personality or the character of the enemy, something that takes place on the part of both the subject and the enemy in question. It was interesting what you said about the amount of energy some people will expend in things like grudges. These things are very common in human culture and society. And I think there are very few of us that can say that we haven't harbored ill will towards someone over an extended period of time. That signifies to me that there must be some reason that we do it. We must feel that having an enemy is in some way a good thing for us. 
puts us either in a position of power or maybe makes us more powerful as an individual. Maybe it helps us learn something about ourselves. I don't know. So that's a particular interest to me in this discussion too. And to respond to that, I would say that having an enemy may not confer any power to the individual who holds that enemy, but I do think it helps to consolidate or simplify a worldview. And I believe that as people, we are always drawn to simplicity. We love things that make sense, are intuitive, and don't require a lot of explanation. I would argue that the iPhone took off for reasons of design simplicity. I think similarly, government structures that make sense to citizens are often the most simplistic. And with enemies, I suspect that those who hold them feel there is a clear boundary between those who are on my side, those who are against me, and therefore I can situate my beliefs between the two as they relate to my enemies and my allies, which may constitute a future discussion between you and I. But I think the idea of having enemies, especially in non-physically violent or combative situations, is intriguing because people will resort to very extreme means of psychological or social torment to try and attack or confront their enemies in some way. And I don't think that behavior is beneficial to anyone in the long run because that mentality of having enemies is something that becomes very contagious from my perspective. And so you harm someone else because they are your enemy in whatever means of harm you feel justified to take. And many people in a very understandable way will respond with equivalent, if not greater measure. And so the eye for an eye mentality comes into play. And to me, that's the danger of having enemies from an outward perspective, my enemies or people that I find are deserving of harm in some way, I find to be very energetically expensive. But as we go about our lives and interact with the people in our world and the world itself, it makes sense that different philosophies will eventually butt heads and collide with one another. And so I think the idea of making enemies is a philosophy and a pre-existing belief of how you are going to handle any sort of confrontation, which doesn't need to be a conflict necessarily, and is only by definition an engagement or encounter between two or more parties. And so I think the idea of having enemies is a belief that enemies are worth having. And I'd like to ask you if there have been experiences in your life that can be anonymous, if anecdotal, in which you've learned that someone was, for the sake of our conversation using the term enemy, an enemy of yours that you had not previously known of? I think that that is a particularly interesting question for me to consider, just personally, because I've always been an individual that shied away from conflict. And I think that I have, in my personal social interactions, made it a point to be as hospitable and kind as possible, which is all to say that I have kind of outside of the influence of this podcast in any way, I have tried to avoid the creation of enemies in my life in whatever ways possible. Something that came to me as you were speaking just now was the question, are enemies necessary? Are they a given of human life? Or is it impossible for us to escape this enemy, non-enemy dichotomy? I've certainly had instances over my life of conflict, but something that's interesting to me right now as I think back on them is that I don't know if I would define any of those people with whom I had these conflicts enemies by your definition of the word, which is to say that they wished me an exclusive or explicit ill will in some way. 
I think that at the time that we were having the conflict, perhaps they did. I'm thinking now of small physical fights that I might have gotten into in like elementary school or something like that. In those cases, I think there may have been a specific ill will in the moment of physical contact and of fighting. It's hard for me to believe that there was any explicit ill will towards me as a person or as an individual that was never expressed to me by these people that I can remember. I personally have made an explicit effort not to think in terms of distaste for an individual or hatred even of an individual, but instead to think in terms of those specific circumstances and goals. So it's interesting that I should be asked that question about conflict, although perhaps I should have seen it coming. Something that arises from that consideration and perhaps relates to what you were saying before is the idea of how we identify an enemy and how this may seem obvious to you and to the listeners, but how an enemy is never someone that comes to you and states that they are an enemy, or at least very rarely do they do this. That's kind of like a video game or an action movie sort of a plot that it turns out isn't very present in modern day life. I think more often than not, we identify our enemies from afar or they identify themselves to us from afar via some sort of an indirect action, which is interesting that this whole enemyship is in many ways subterranean or at least kind of subconscious. It's not on our top level of consciousness. I absolutely agree with you. And to touch on what you had said about your personal experience, it doesn't surprise me at all. In fact, whether you would admit it about yourself or not, you are a very easygoing and friendly person who I think would be hard to have as an enemy for that very reason. And later I'd like to talk about the social fear, perhaps, of having enemies and how that might motivate us. But I really love what you said about the indirect channels through which we learn about enemies, because I was thinking of hypothetical examples where we hear of someone's terrible ex or someone else that they knew about. And because of our allegiance to this person that we know in our life as a friend or a family member, we suddenly have a new enemy without meeting them. And as you said before, there are certain people that we don't meet or never know that we consider our enemies. In fact, as war has developed as a human pursuit, there are people who have been shot, bombed, killed, etc., from such long distances or from so high up in the air or from so far away that human beings not only have these enemies conceptually in their minds, but have killed people that they have never seen before. And that as a concept terrifies, concerns, and simultaneously fascinates me because I wonder had war not evolved the way it has with weapons allowing for greater distance between combatants or between victims and assailants, I wonder if we would see death and tragedy and slaughter on the large scales that we have. Because I do believe in my idealistic perception of the world and of people that if we knew the people we considered enemies more thoroughly, we might not side with them, but we would at least see a better perspective of why they acted the way they did. And of course, this is a very militaristic sense of the word enemy. Now to talk about the original question, the soul or the individual who has no enemies, regardless of who that person is, I've been thinking a lot before this episode about how they would have to act in order to live without any enemies in the definition I presented earlier of enemies being those who find us to be unappealing and deserving of negative experience. 
And the more I've thought about it, the more I wonder to what extent the soul with no enemies is an experimental person, a daring person, or even a living entity in some sense. Because in our daily lives, I believe if we are pushing certain boundaries and trying to grow as people, we will necessarily say certain awkward things that we didn't mean or explore certain philosophies that others disagree with. And so I think to a degree, you are bound to accrue an or several enemies throughout your life in the sense of the word as we are using it because it's a sign of personal exploration and growth. And that said, I would say that in my opinion, the ideal person is someone who not only accrues enemies, but who tries to understand these people who have in turn misunderstood them. And that's the key behind this concept of the soul with no enemies in my mind, because you have to live your life and try to grow as a person. And when that comes into conflict with other people, for me, the deciding factor of who you are as a person is in how you handle those quote unquote enemies Again, a term that I know within the context of this conversation we have appropriated in many ways. But I'd really like to know what you think about the hypothetical soul who has no enemies and what they might be like as a person. As I was preparing for this podcast, one of the things that I considered is the reasons that we do want enemies and the reasons, of course, that we don't want enemies. Those two topics are intertwined. And of course, all I really can do, or at least the first place I tend to go when I consider these sorts of questions is to my own personal experience. And I think that there is this concept, as you say, a popular concept of a person that has no enemies being a person that stands for nothing. And so I think that in some ways we do desire enemies because we use them as proof of our own beliefs, or at least of the firmly held nature of our own beliefs. They are in some ways kind of like a shadow, something that reminds you that you really are there, a reaction to a real action of yours. So I think that in an interesting way, enemies in that sense help us to kind of combat our fear, you could say of nothingness, although that's a very philosophical way to take it, our fear maybe of being insignificant in the grand scheme of things on this broad stage of life. And I think it's hard to think about those qualities, that kind of possession of strength that accompanies the idea of having enemies, which is to say, if you have enemies, you're a person to be feared. It's important to note that these positive aspects to having enemies, like the strength that is associated with having them, being someone that is to be feared by other people, or being someone that's significant enough to have produced some sort of a backlash or a counter-reaction, these are all kind of... Um, these are all kind of masculine desires, or at least that's the way that it comes off to me. And something that has been a constant wonder of mine as I've gone through my life trying, frankly, not to make enemies. It sounds perhaps like I'm bragging in this, but I'm really only using it as personal experience to inform the discussion. Being someone that has gone the majority of his life attempting to make as few enemies as possible, I have often worried about that very thing whether or not I'm being regarded as perhaps too timid, not masculine enough, stereotypically masculine enough. And these have been things that have weighed heavy on my mind. I personally see a kind of idealistic view of this individual that has no enemies as a person that has been able to kind of transcend the pettiness of human interaction. I think that perhaps it is possible not to have any enemies, Although I don't know if it's possible for no one to consider you an enemy of theirs. So again, I'm referencing the kind of the mutual nature of it. I think that there is a way to put your disagreements with people into perspective 
to an extent that you don't feel like you are really fundamentally pitted against anyone in particular. In that moment, there was a situational, inconvenient crossing of paths or clashing of paths, I suppose you could say. Those are some really great ideas. And one of my favorites in there is that sense of strength that we draw from having enemies. And perhaps we would have been better suited in this conversation to explain that there are different sorts of people who can oppose us in different ways. You could classify that, I think, of rivals and opponents as two other terms. And I think there's great value in that. And it's all about how we conceptualize of the people on the other side of the debate or the coin or the discussion or the argument or the life that we are enjoying or experiencing. And in politics, I think a lot of professional politicians view their opponents as enemies when they could view it as a rivalry or simply a professional opposition. It's a lot about how we conceive of those who are quote unquote enemies. And I also appreciate your use of the word transcend or a human who transcends the pettiness of typical human interaction because I think the soul with no enemies could be someone who in the past had enemies and has overcome those disagreements or explained those disagreements or made allies out of former enemies, again using these terms a bit loosely, in order to become a better person. It is important to have certain pushback because no person has ever had ideas that were 100% solid or beyond the realm of question. No one's actions, I would contend, are ever objectively good. They may be good in a utilitarian sense, but these are, of course, very theoretical questions. It's interesting that you note the idea of a rival or of a competitive enemy, because these now we're getting into a kind of a gray area of enemyship. One wouldn't really say that a rival is fully an enemy, because there's almost a kinship that is felt with a rival or with a competitor. You share a purpose or a goal in many cases, and you're situationally pitted against one another. There's also an idea that your rival pushes you to go further, and you in turn tend to learn a lot about yourself and maybe improve based on the actions or observations of a rival or a competitor, call it what you will. So I think it's a good thing to recognize that there are these gray areas. Something else that's really interesting that I've been thinking about while we've been having this entire discussion is an idea that was introduced to me recently in a class. I'm taking a class on Sartre, the famous existentialist philosopher from France, and we were just reading a book of his entitled The Jewish Question that was about basically hate and how it is formed specifically in an anti-Semitic person, but also it applies to other scenarios of hate, racist hate, bigotry, these sorts of things. And something that Sartre mentions is something that you, in fact, mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, which is that there's this idea behind hatred, a separation of the world into good and bad factions, which is called Manichaeism. This is a term I learned recently the separation of the world into good and bad factions, and the strategy of the anti-Semite, or of perhaps our conception of the enemy, the person that makes themselves the enemy of others, is to align themselves with the extermination of the bad, and to make that their goal, in order to purify the world and leave only the good behind. And what is noted by Sartre about this is that this conception of the world takes the good for granted, which is to say you don't have to seek the good. The good is already given. There are no decisions to be made about it. All you have to do is to focus on the extermination of the bad, which is identified differently depending on what scenario we 
examine. But I think it's interesting getting back to this idea of simplifying the world, that making yourself into someone's enemy is a way to simplify the world. You don't necessarily have to, or at least feel obliged to, hear their arguments for things. Perhaps they're saying something about you that makes you uncomfortable or that causes you to consider something differently about yourself, but you don't have to make that consideration because you have already targeted them or branded, labeled them as a person that is an enemy that is associated with the bad. And so nothing truly good can come from them. So it's a way of simplifying the world and debatably a very dangerous way of doing it. I really value that connection because I think applied to enemies and this idea of one who has no enemies, the belief that getting rid of your enemies or eliminating the bad is identical or similar to finding the good. I don't think it's quite the same because logically speaking, if you removed every enemy you ever had, you wouldn't necessarily be left with only allies. You might be left alone with no enemies and that's it. And so I suspect that philosophy could be applied here. And I would draw my thoughts in this conversation to a close by saying that you can focus on enemies or the lack thereof, but you should also think about the people who are on your side and those who believe in you, why they believe in you and what you can do to reciprocate their support of you as a person. And I think the focus on enemies is a potentially dangerous one, to use a phrase that you had used earlier. And before we do close the episode, what are some things you would like the audience to consider after hearing our conversation? I think we have a tendency to wax philosophic in these conversations, and I think that that's a good thing. But I worry that perhaps the meaning of it is sometimes lost in the ambition and abstract nature of it. And so I think I would just say, in order to synthesize what I feel like I have thought about this topic, is that while categories and thinking of things in broad strokes is certainly necessary to human existence and to our sanity, I think, on a day-to-day basis, I would encourage anyone that's considering thinking of someone as an enemy, not only to consider the categories to which they belong, but also to consider them as an individual and as a person that has taken a specific path to get to a place and who may not feel necessarily at odds with you in the same way that you feel at odds with them. And of course, I don't mean to be calling any of our listeners out, but just something to be aware of. I feel similarly, and I would encourage anyone who feels that they have made enemies to reconsider how that other person might see them and perhaps the possibility of conversing with that person and asking them if there are in fact conflicts which need resolution. And for those who feel that they should make enemies and could grow from their enemies, to think on that verbiage and why you would choose the word enemy instead of opponent or rival and to what extent that might benefit or hurt your experience and your pursuits in life. And Sam, I'd like to thank you very much for having this conversation with me. Thank you, Kip. It was a pleasure. I'm happy to hear it. As always, we want this to be a conversation among, not simply a conversation between, as we are only two voices. So if you have thoughts, opinions, comments, or feedback of any kind, please feel free to reach out to us. You can find us on Twitter or on Facebook, where if you like our page, you'll receive weekly updates when we post new episodes. You can also email us via strideandsaunter at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing to and reviewing the show and sharing it with people you feel might also like it or get something out of it. And as always, we thank you very much for listening. And from thought to word and voice to ear, this is Kip Clark signing off.